So we're going to, we are going to read together Matthew chapter 19. If you would join me in the text this morning. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. Then children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus answered, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you, uh, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all of these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect... Go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. For many who are, who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray. Father God, we lift this time to you, Lord. We pray, God, that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. And God, we ask that your word would do what it is sent to do. Lord, your word brings life. So God, we just uh, lift up the scripture. We lift up the kids that will be in children's ministry, their teachers, all those who are involved. And we pray, Lord, that you be glorified in and through it all. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, little ones are free. God bless you guys. So this morning we have an opportunity to take a look at uh, the rich young ruler. And the concept that scripture lays out for us that we're called to forsake and follow Jesus. And there's a, a nuance of this that Paul really develops. There's this idea that we get, you and, and me, followers of Christ, believers, where we begin to have our identity in something other than Christ. It's the big struggle with me over titles, you know, um, because titles can be taken away. It's, it's the struggle sometimes when we have, we think we have a, a responsibility. Uh, maybe we're in charge of children's ministry or we're in charge of youth ministry or we're in charge of whatever aspect of ministry and we begin to place our identity in what we do. And whenever we put our identity in what we do, and what we do is taken away, we have an identity crisis. If you know people who have served in ministry, you have heard them say these words, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. I, I don't know how I'm supposed to serve. Because... Our identity was supposed to be in Jesus Christ, and he never changes. He never leaves. He never forsakes us. So when we have that, when we're holding fast to him, then those other things in our life will change. We may not even realize this is happening to us. I mean, this is something that can happen to us all. Myself, you, anybody you know who's ever served the, the church or the body of Christ in any way, it's subtle. And then you don't even notice that it's really happened until it's gone. 
And then when it's gone, you're, you feel like somebody took the, the road out from underneath me and I'm just floating here. And you're a little lost. And I think that's the issue that we're going to see with a rich young ruler. He has identity, but it's not in Christ. And he's going to be invited to make his identity in Christ. But he's going to struggle with that concept. And this is something that I think we need to be, we need to really ask ourselves, really think to ourselves, where is my identity? You know, it's one of the reasons why I've always, I've always appreciated um, Celebrate Recovery. Uh, I know, I know. Don't send me the emails. But I've always appreciated, here's the aspect I've always appreciated from them. One of the things, we'll just talk about the things that they've got absolutely right. And here's one. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and I struggle with whatever. My identity is not in my addiction or my sin. My identity is Jesus. And you stand up and you proclaim that Every meeting, you make a proclamation to the people who are gathered there that I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. That's my identity. And we need to remind ourselves of that. The disciples we've seen leading up to this moment as they come, they're trying to vie for who's the greatest because they want to be able to put that title as their identity. I'm Peter. I'm the greatest, right? Everybody likes that. Every boxer, every fighter, every sports guy, nobody plays for second place. Nobody's trying to be second best. But if our identity is in that, you're going to discover the same thing everybody who stood at the top of the mountain already knows. It's still empty. I fought all the time to get here. And the day after I got here, I still feel the same way. Because men and women, boys and girls, were created to have their identity in Jesus Christ. And this is kind of the whole concept of forsake and follow. If you find yourselves in an identity crisis, who am I? Right? Then, then your, that identity crisis is a sign of a, a deeper issue. I thought I was going to be a pastor, or I thought I was going to be an elder, or I thought I was going to be whatever. You fill in the, you fill in the blank. What we have to do is learn, as Paul learned, to be content with saying, I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and he's all I need and when all those other things change you have riches or you lose them or you you have a a spouse or a family and you lose them or all the myriad of possibilities that can come into our lives and shipwreck what's going on that shipwreck won't happen if we're 
joined to Jesus Christ. The shipwreck still comes, but I have my identity still. You get what I'm saying? Because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. So Jesus, it says, he is, he is moving through the day. He just brought up the children. He brought them before. Remember the children as a sign of humility, of being less, not more, of taking a lower station, not a higher station, and, and the importance of that in marriage, right? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Then he goes on and says, now behold, a man comes up to him. So <clears throat> Jesus is moving through the crowds, teaching, healing. These examples are happening, and a man comes up to him and says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What do I have to do? Surely there's something good. And if I do that, just hear it, I'll be able to put my identity as the doer of the deed. I did the thing, right? I, I got baptized or I came forward or tell me the good thing I have to do so that I can, I can say that, uh, that I have eternal life. Now, Jesus wants this rich young ruler, he's not named, we, he wants him to think about, why are you asking me? I don't think this is a trap. I don't think this is a guy coming to Jesus like the Pharisees and the scribes to try to trap him. This is someone coming to Jesus, and, and I think he's honestly, you know, wrestling with, how does this all work? And so Jesus wants him to understand, why are you asking me? Why do you ask me about what is good? Why, why do you come to me? There is only one who is good. Right? The Bible lays that out for us. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, none is righteous. So how many are righteous? <clears throat> no, not one. No one understands. How many have understanding? None. Yeah, we, we get quieter as we go through this, don't we? No one seeks for God. No, the Bible would teach us that God sought you first. In the universe, God moved first. There's no way for you to know God without his revelation of himself. Right? God shows himself. He sends his word. He sends his prophet. Initially, he shows up to Abraham and he says, Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham responds, God moves first. It says, all have turned aside. How many have turned aside? They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Isaiah tells us, our righteous deeds are how? As filthy rags. I'm not going to tell you what those are. You guys can look it up for yourself. But it's dirty. You don't want to use them. So the point of him coming to Jesus, Jesus goes, look, do you, why are you asking me? Because there is a reason to come to Jesus and ask him that question. Because he is the author of good. He is the author of the law. He is the author of the word of God. He is the word made flesh. 
So he's the one where we can find that answer. He's the one where we can find our identity. He's the one that can show us the way. There's no one else. So Jesus is going to draw to his attention. There's only one who is good. Now, the man knows he's talking about God. Only God is good. Only God. And then he makes this phrase. This is something the Old Testament taught. If you would enter life, if you would live, keep the commandments. If you want to live, keep the commandments. In Leviticus 18.5, here's what it says. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So the Lord just says, look, you, you want to know how to please me? It's not that hard. You know, all the commandments are broken down into two, right? Actually, all the commandments are broken down to one. But all the commandments, 613 commandments, they all break down into two commandments. The Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, divide into two. The two are love God and love your neighbor. Because if you do those two things, there's a whole host of things you won't do, right? If you love your neighbor, you won't kill him. So the Lord, so the Lord lays out these, this understanding. So he's telling him, and I want you to look at how he focuses the rich young ruler because the rich young ruler is going to say, well, which ones? He, he wants a loophole. What do you mean, which ones? All of them. All of them. Now, here's the thing that people struggle with. A lot of believers struggle with this. The law is divided into, into three parts. You have the moral law. You have ritual law. And you have the civic law. So the civic law is the law that's going to tell us that we'll build a case law from. Okay, the example I usually give is Leviticus tells you if you have a patio on your roof, build a fence around the parapet, make a parapet. So if you're entertaining people, nobody falls off. What are we supposed to take from that? If I love my neighbor, I'm going to try to protect him right on my property. I'm, I'm going to have a rabid dog that I just let walk through the neighborhood, right? So I'm going to put them in a fence. The Bible doesn't have to tell me every possible way to do that. It just has to give me the premise and that I'm supposed to walk with that. Does that make sense? That's the civic law. You have ritual law. Ritual law is how you are made holy that you can draw near to God. Those are the laws everybody wants to throw back in your face. Well, you're not supposed to eat shellfish, and you can't mix two fabrics together. And, you know, if you've ever run into somebody who talks about the law, and they talk about the ritual law. The ritual law was fulfilled in Christ. He is our ritual law now. How is it that I approach God? I approach God through the blood of Jesus Christ, not because of what I eat or what I wear. Does that make sense? That's the ritual law. The moral law. I often hear people say this, uh, and I think I know what they mean, but we say things like, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Yes and no. Is it still wrong to murder someone? Well, then you're still under the law. But your, your keeping of that law is not what allows you to draw near to God. Do you understand? 
No one through acts of the law is going to be approved before God. We're approved before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So you have basically the Ten Commandments, a moral law. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Okay? So when we look at this, this, this rich young ruler coming to Jesus saying, which ones? What do you mean, which ones? There were 613 commandments, depending on how rabbis count them. And the Bible would say, if you break one, you broke them all. Which tells me exactly what Romans declared in Romans chapter 2. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one has peace with God naturally. We have peace with God because we've been justified by faith. We put our trust in Jesus Christ. And he makes me righteous. I don't make myself righteous. Jesus Christ clothes me with his blood, which makes me holy, ritually pure, that I can stand before the Father. It's the only way. Right? There's no other way to come before the Father. That's it. James 2.10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, Well, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, if you want to be the top, you want to get to the top, He says, go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. So Jesus, when he lays out, let's back up in verse 18, when he lays out and he says, which ones? He says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. This is all loving your neighbor. You see it? He's specifically quoting from the Decalogue, the love your neighbor section. All the love your neighbor things, honor father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man says, I've done it all, but something's still missing. Everyone, the Bible would declare in Romans chapter 1, every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth knows something is missing in their relationship with God. God's word declares it. For since the creation, his invisible attributes are clearly perceived in the things that are made. So man is without excuse. He has clearly shown it to us. Let's just look at it real quick. If you guys want to hop over with me. You don't have a slide for this because I just decided to do it. So that's how it is. Life with Jackie. <laughs> So Paul writes in in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It's started by faith, it's finished by faith. It's not accomplished through works. If you think so, read the book of Galatians. We'll get to that later. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the, the righteous shall live by faith. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. I know, I know, I hear people say, I don't believe in God. But I'm telling you, just like this rich young ruler, he knew something's not right. I'm, I'm going through the motions, right? I'm trying to fulfill the law, and we're going to see in a moment where his, where his struggle comes from. He's trying to, to accomplish that which the Lord God had, had laid out for him, but he knows something's not, what do I lack? Something's still wrong. It's not right. Perhaps for the rich young ruler, as we call him, he's, he's achieved the pinnacle of success. He's got all the money he needs. He's got all the titles he needs. He's got the respect of the people around him. He was able just to walk up to Jesus and nobody stopped him. But he knows this is not it. It's not it. And the things I've been doing to try to build my righteousness through righteous acts of doing good is not working. It's not bringing me to the place that I want to be. So Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, get rid of everything. So I just want you to picture it as the man just got to the top of the mountain. And Jesus says, throw all that stuff away. Because it's not going to be about how much money you have. It's not going to be about the things you did. Get rid of it all. Take everything that you possess and give it to the poor. And then he says, and you will have treasures in heaven. And then the most important part, and follow me. Jesus is saying, take your identity from rich young ruler, keeper of the law, doer of good deeds. Take your identity from that and put your identity in me. Get rid of all that stuff that's holding you back. All that stuff that is distracting. It was distracting from his walk. Mark 10, verse 21, the same story. It says, Jesus looking at him, looking at the rich young ruler, Jesus looking at him, loved him. We just sang the song this morning, For God So Loved the World. That will never not be true. Jesus had compassion on the people, on the sinners, on those who came to him over and over again. The Bible says Jesus moved with compassion. Jesus moved with compassion. He looked at the rich young ruler and he's filled with with love. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Every man, woman, and child follower of Jesus Christ has something we call a besetting sin. It's that one that keeps poking up its head. You guys know what I mean? It's the one you fight over and over again. It's the one you feel like, I'm always having to confess this. I'm always having, maybe it's anger or wrath. Maybe it's, 
uh, lying, I don't know, whatever it is. It's the thing that just keeps rearing its head, keeps lifting its head, and we spend our time dealing with it. And so Jesus is, is laying out for this man his besetting sin is one nobody else can see. It's covetousness. No one can see that. Can you tell if your neighbor's covetous? No. And if you're right now thinking, I'm pretty sure I can, you're probably coveting. <laughs> that's, that's probably a dead giveaway. Sell everything you have. I love how Luke, uh, Luke puts it in Luke 14, 33. It says, so therefore, Jesus, this is another teaching that he gives. He says, so therefore, any of you who will not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It is a forsaking of all. It is forsaking your title. Do you guys get what I'm saying? It's forsaking your identity and anything else that's not Jesus. Once upon a time, my identity was the world's greatest football coach. <laughs> Just telling you. I know, I know. You think I don't know what I'm talking about, but no, really. <laughs> this was my identity. This is who I was. This is what I did. This was everything. And we worked hard and we climbed the mountain of success until... We built a program at Joshua Springs whereby the only way anyone could get to the state championship game was they had to beat us. Everybody, if you're going to win it, you had to beat us. And it came with a, a lot of trappings, and I had Coach of the Year plaques that I used for firewood. I had so many Coach of the Year plaques because they just give it to you when you win. If you lose, you never get coach of the year, just so you know. You might be a better coach than me, but you didn't get it if you didn't win. This was my identity. This was who I was, and there came a day when I didn't do that anymore. And now I go, who am I? Well, what, what, what am I now? I was a youth pastor, but then I wasn't a youth pastor anymore. So then I had this identity crisis. Who am I? There's only one identity that matters at all, and that is I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And when that is central in my mind, when that attitude is central, I can renounce all titles. I can renounce all things that are pulling on me one way or another. And if I'm the only one here to do chairs, so be it. I won't care. Because I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. My circumstances don't dictate my rejoicing. And I don't feel offended by others because a follower of Jesus is a servant of all. Right? And that's where we have the struggle that this guy has. Jesus looked at him and loved him, and he's like, man, your identity is in the wrong place. Your identity is in what you can do and what you have. So Jesus says, get rid of everything you have. This is not a shocking teaching. Earlier in Matthew 5, he said something similar, and he said something just in Matthew 18. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, what? 
cut it off. It's better to enter into heaven maimed than whole in hell. And the idea is if something is holding you back from being able to enter into what God has for you, renounce it, forsake it, and follow me. It has nothing to do with socialism, get rid of all your stuff, and that's the plan God wants. It's none of that matters. It's the, it's the metaphor. It's the picture that he's drawing. So he's saying to this guy, get rid of the thing that's holding you back. You know, the Bible tells, I want to say it's in, in Luke. I think it's in Luke 19. I'm going to jump ahead. I'll tell you what. I won't jump ahead. We're going to get to Luke 19 in a minute and talk about what happens when that change, when someone does renounce everything. We'll see it. Sell everything you have. Seek only the pleasure of our king. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, not titles, not things, because moths and rust will destroy, thieves will break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves won't break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, there your So treasure Christ above all. Above it all. He's the peak. He's the peak. We are called to not only forsake it all and, and seek the, the face of our God, but then we're also called to submit. He said, if anyone would come after me, Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, follow me. It's not about me. Trust me, if I was making the plans for the world and how everything was going to go, everything would be different than it is. Now, I'm not arrogant enough to think it would be better. It'd just be worse in different ways. Right? But I'm going to submit to God, and I'm going to, I love that song we sing that says, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. I can look at what you've done in the past, what you've done in my life, what you've done historically through the word of God, and I know you're doing good things, even when I can't see them now. I know you are. So I will trust you. It's not about me. It's about Christ. Luke 14, 27, he says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We submit ourselves to Christ. Paul builds such an incredible concept on this. The whole book of Galatians is something that could just be written straight to, I think, the, the rich young ruler in a lot of ways. But in Galatians chapter 2, just to highlight, <clears throat> if our identity is in Christ, this is what it sounds like. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been bought with a price. So I do not nullify the grace of God. I'm not trying to earn my way anywhere, because if righteousness could come any other way, then Christ would have died for no purpose. My identity is in Christ. It's not about me. It's all about him. And when I can make that, when I can say this is the, this is the focus, the reality of my life, and I have to remind myself all the time because I get offended. I'm sure you guys can hardly believe it because when you look at me, I'm, I look so holy compared to everyone else. I get offended, and here's what I know. Here's what I've learned about being offended. If I, when I get offended, it is always my pride. Somebody stepped on my pride, and I'm offended, and I've lost grip of the truth that Jesus Christ is my identity. Because if Jesus Christ is my identity, I should assume things will be like that. That's what Jesus said. A teacher is not, is not greater, or a student is not greater than his teacher. If they abuse me, they will. They'll abuse you too, but he says, don't, don't sweat it. This is Jackie paraphrase now. Don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't let that freak you out. I'm with you. You have me. And Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure that heaven had to give. Jesus Christ is greater treasure than your freedom. Jesus Christ is greater treasure than your health. Jesus Christ is greater treasure than your happiness. Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure there is. You have him. You have everything you need. And if you don't see that Jesus Christ is that, then you need to pray that God will open your eyes so you can see. Because it is, man is able to be blinded, in particular, sometimes by his stuff. The Bible says in Matthew 19, 22, the young man, when he heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He was grieved. He turned away and he went away sorrowful. He went away sorrowful because he wouldn't lay down his title or he was struggling with the idea of it anyway. Now there's another story of another guy in scripture his name's Zacchaeus you guys remember Zacchaeus the song Zacchaeus was a wee little man wee little man was he yeah everybody knows the song right <clears throat> don't make me sing anymore but I'll mess it up so he hears Jesus is coming he climbs up in a tree so he can see him because he's short so he climbs up in the tree <clears throat> so many comments I just gotta let him go he climbs up in a tree. Jesus passes by, and he stops at the tree, 
And he looks up, and if you come with me to Israel, they'll take you to the exact tree where that happened. Look, just so you know, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. If you do a tour in Israel, they're going to tell you that. Look, it's the tree Zacchaeus climbed in. Nobody knows where that tree is. But anyways, I digress. Jesus stops under the tree and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to come to your house. The Bible tells us on Luke 19, verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I want to stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. They all grumbled. What Jesus hanging out with this dirty guy? He has gone <coughs> to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, listen, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, I'll pay back four times. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Because for Zacchaeus, all he wanted to be known as was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He didn't want to be known as the richest guy in Jericho. He didn't want to be known as whatever other titles he may have had. And all his stuff didn't have him. He was willing to, to lay it down. And just, just the profession that he makes, Jesus knows, oh yeah, Zacchaeus' identity is in me. He's mine. And God needs to know that about every one of us. My identity is in Christ. Not, I'm the guy with the orange and black Harley. Not, whatever other possible things we can have as our identity. The, the biker preacher. I don't look like one anymore, I don't have a beard. Whatever things, it's not about that. My identity is in Jesus Christ. So Jesus goes on and lays out a problem. Look what he says, verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is it so hard for a rich person to get to heaven? Because it's so easy to trust in yourself. I mean, just think of the United States of America. We don't wake up in the morning like most of the rest of the world and go, I wonder where I'm going to get my water today. I have to walk seven miles with an empty jar to fill that jar up and walk seven miles back. You don't have to do that. In fact, you don't really know what to think if you go over and turn the, the knob on the sink and water don't come out. The, it's hard for the rich because we're we are able to self-sustain. When I get sick, I just throw money at a doctor. We don't tend to gather in circles and pray. We do for big things where we go, I don't know how this is going to work, right? <coughs> but we don't have to live trusting in God for everything. I, I was once on a mission field and uh, someone was sick. 
and you know, you're multiple hours from the nearest doctor. So you know who they call? The missionary. Not because the missionary is also a nurse or a doctor. They call them so that they can lay hands on them and pray because this is here now. Right? So it's difficult for a rich man. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Please don't write, send me no things about how this is really, it was, it was not impossible. A camel could crawl through. The eye of the needle was the door, inside the door of the gate. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I don't know. Preachers, sometimes preachers need to just get turned off. We have this tendency of repeating the same stories over and over again so long we think they're true. So listen. Jesus said it's impossible. Not if a camel gets down on his knees, he could crawl through. And if they take all the burden off his back and, and if they put butter all over him so he's greasy and he can squeeze in. No. The very next verse, uh, the disciples heard this, they're astonished. Well, then who can be saved? Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. It's not hard. It's impossible. But with God, what's possible? All things are possible. All things. It was not all that long ago. It seems like a long time, but it was not all that long ago. I was in California on a motorcycle, splitting traffic probably. And uh, you guys can look it up so you know what that is. And um, I get a text from Mark about Jared's accident. And nobody's saying anything good. He's probably not going to make it through the night. That's what they were telling me. With man, it's impossible. But with God. So he's at Hallelujah Night on Friday. So... Now, no. He's, that's my wife. She's the head of the applause committee. <laughs> uh, I love her. Um, I'm glad somebody somebody should for sure. Um, so when we so then. We, we look at it and we think, this is, this is, I don't know how this is going to work, but God is able, right, to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. So in the, in the day, in the, in the evening when I got word, you know, I'm filled with fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, but what's that mean? What's going to happen? I, sometimes I, I can still get afraid, right? I, I can't tell you the future. We're just starting the journey, Right? So I don't always understand what God's doing, but I can see what he's done. And so we hold on to that. And it's no different today. I don't understand what God's doing. My heart breaks and I worry about the future for, for uh, Amanda and what that's all going to look like. I worry about all that stuff. But I know what God has done.
And he is able. And he will redeem it all. That's what he does. So we put our hope and our trust in him. Not in our ability to figure it out. Because we'll never figure it out. We'll not, when, when they told me that Jared was coming home on the 28th, I was like, you're kidding me. And the last time I went and visited Jared, he's sitting at home, or he's sitting in the hospital bed, and he's like, look, I don't care. Literally what he says, I don't care what they say. I'm leaving Friday. <laughs> Michael, dang. He still had tubes sticking in him and all this stuff, but... But they got all that stuff out of them, and he's coming home. And if you were over at their house, it looked like a nuclear explosion went off in that house. Right? The floors are ripped out. Walls are being repaired. New uh, uh, um, uh, showers being installed so Jared can get in and out of the shower. And all this stuff is going into the house. And, and it's like, we got four days. Ready to go. What looks like it's impossible with man is possible with God. The night before, I was not sure how that was all going to work out. But the day he got home, it's good. Because God redeems. That's what he does. And he will redeem the days we find ourselves in right now. The thing we want to fight against Self-sufficiency. It's not about me being able to take care of this all myself. Me being able to figure it out all myself. It's about laying that down. When Jesus was writing the letter to the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 17, they had a high view of themselves. You say, I am rich. I have prospered. I don't need anything. And Jesus says, you don't even realize that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Our self-sufficiency is not sufficiency. It is the deceitfulness of sin. Lying to us that we can figure it out on our own. We need Jesus Christ, and he does it so very well. So Peter, hearing this, he says, well, Lord, we left everything, so what do we get? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I'm going to ask Pete when we get there. But when, we're, when, when we look, I wonder how many times of Peter's ministry, he's, he's ministering, you know, Jesus has ascended, you know, God's God's raised him up and he's used him despite his his failures just as he does for all of us i wonder how many times when he'd he'd look at the gospels and he go oh i can't believe matthew couldn't leave that part out you know <laughs> he could not just say paint me in a better light nothing so jesus says to them in the new world we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? So when Peter says, Lord, when will be the, the culmination of all our sacrifice? Jesus says, 
in the new heaven, in the new earth. When we enter into that place, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 20. You who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones. And you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. There will be the exercising of authority. He will give authority to those of his disciples. The 12 specifically to the body of Christ uh, corporately. This might be depressing for some of you. But work is not part of the fall. Sometimes we think the fall of man brought work. No. Jesus planted the garden, put man in it, and then he put him to work. Subdue the world and make it like this garden. Ready? Go. And Adam was fulfilled in that, right? There, that was, he, he's got purpose. My point is just to say there's purpose that will be in the kingdom of God. There's, there are things that it's not sitting on a cloud with a harp. There's going to be responsibility and authority granted to the people who have sacrificed and served the Lord. And it will be a beautiful day. On this side, we have lots of goodbyes, lots of sad tidings. But there will be a day. I love the fact that the Jewish day starts with night. Because the Bible says, though there will be sorrow in the evening, joy comes with the morning. We find ourselves in the dark today but there's coming a day of light amen there's coming a day where we see all that God has for us Jesus says everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life he's laying out all the kind of relationships there could be because sometimes Taking Jesus means you lose other things. And Jesus is the greatest. He is worthy of it all. But many who are first, many who think they've climbed the mountain and they've got the title and they're king of it all, I often think of feedlots when I think about that king of the hill. See, all the Idahoans know what I mean. All the transplants are like, what is he talking about? In the feedlot, you have a giant pile of poo in the middle. And if you drive by a feedlot, there's guaranteed to be a cow on top of it. I'm king of the hill. Paul would say, just like we're saying now, all the things that are gained to me, I count as refuse, garbage, trash for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Many today who are first will be last and many who 
the world looks at and says, you're last, they will be first. The challenge, place your identity in Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you poured out upon us the greatest gift that could ever be given. Jesus Christ, your one and only. Thank you that he became sin sacrifice for me so that I might become the righteousness of God. He washed away all the things that separate me from my Father in heaven so that I, by being justified in faith, can have peace with God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I'm sorry, Lord, that Sometimes I get hung up on a station or a goal or a proclamation of self. And I let that become the thing that's driving me rather than I have been crucified with Christ Jesus. This is not my life. I give it to him. So I live it for him. God, I pray that we would recognize and realize all that we have in you, through you, from you. You are worthy of our praise. And where else would we go but to the Lord of hosts? Who else can meet us in our sorrow? But the Lord, our provider, the one who has poured out hope upon us and we look at circumstances and we say this is impossible God I pray we would know nothing's impossible with you the one who says light be and light was is accomplishing his perfect purpose. I've seen it time and time and time again in my past, so I will hope in it in the future. Lord God, we have 
this hope within us that we will lift our eyes one day and see the prize, the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that's not a day like many of the parables that we'll read where, where we are ashamed or disappointed because we buried our talents or we hid our gifts or we were busy doing things we ought not to be doing. But, Lord, I pray it'll be a glorious day when we see our Savior filled with compassion look upon us and say, well done. God, I pray that you would move in this body, that we would take seriously the word of God that tells us to exhort one another daily while it is called today. I pray, Lord, that we would take seriously your word that challenges us to comfort one another with these words. I pray, Lord, that we would be being the bride of Christ whose identity is in her Lord and Savior. It's not about anything else. It's just about you. That we lay down our self-sufficiency and we pick up our sufficiency is in Christ. So God, I pray that you would move that you would continue to heal, Lord God. I, I pray for those in our fellowship that are suffering through battles with cancer. Several people, Lord, I pray that you would give them strength. I pray for those who are overcoming injuries like Jared. I pray for Amanda who's going to need you to heal a broken heart. And I pray for all of us to lay down our pride and the things that divide us and stand together unified in our identity is in Christ Jesus. So God, have your way as we put our our eyes, our hearts, our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of prayer this morning. So there will be um, deacons and elders, both past and present, spread around the room. They want to pray with you. If you need prayer, please come up and let them pray with you.